0: Are you in a position where you're defined by your age, and that's limiting you to pursue a dream or goal you want to accomplish? The More Than Your Age podcast is about having conversations with women who fully live their lives without being dictated or defined by their age. This is a space to encourage women who feel blocked to pursue a dream or goal based on their life circumstances. Welcome to the More Than Your Age podcast. I am your host... Erica Pazbard, let's start living life fully and become more than your age. First jobs outside of college was working for a nonprofit where I ran a program with about 100 students, and I had college students who worked for me. I was only 24 at the time, and so I felt like at the time it was a pretty big job and a pretty big responsibility for me to have at the age of 24. I remember thinking like I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I have to fake it till I make it. And it wasn't until I had my first meeting with a parent of one of my students who was really dealing with a lot at the time and I remember going into that meeting calling my mom beforehand and just telling her like I have no idea what I'm doing I'm supposed to meet with his parent he needs help with his child I'm not a parent I don't have kids I have no idea like this is the first I've only been at the job for a week and he walked in just expecting for me to guide him and help him and and it was just I just remember thinking I'm really young and I don't have a lot of wisdom in this area. And it's just funny for me to hear that or to talk about that because my guest in today's episode led a camp with hundreds of children involved starting at the age of 21 and worked at that camp for a number of years, still being very young. And uh, the, her story and how she got there and just the things that she did to to lead and lead well and how that's gotten her to grow and develop in um, the skills that she has now is very encouraging. And I, I know that you will enjoy and learn a lot from my interview today with Chantel Mech. Today, I get the honor of interviewing a former boss of mine who was gifted at a very young age to direct a highly successful summer camp with hundreds of employees and children for multiple years. Chantelle Mack, welcome to the More Than Your Age podcast. Hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) My first encounter with you was in an interview setting, so I like that we're also in an interview setting right now. I remember being very nervous, but you were quite calming. Funny, you made the interview very enjoyable, so thank you for that. And you know what's (laughs) funny, too, is that year I interviewed for another camp, um, really wanted the job at your camp, did not get the job at the other camp. I was very offended, (laughs) but I I was glad I got the job with you because that's the one I wanted. And so you had to have interviewed thousands of people from all over the country. How exhausting was that?
1: extremely. And I love to talk. And so by the end of a trail, especially like a Texas A&M where there were, you were interviewing around three to four people at a time in one setting. And you would just split up for certain questions that were um, intimate, but yeah, it was both amazing and exhausting.
0: How, when you were at a university, let's say an A&M, like a bigger university, how, many people would you interview on average at a like at the campus
1: 35 40 okay yeah there'll be hundreds at a and alone a and baylor they were like going back and forth with who can bring the most interviewees uh to our sessions and so yeah i mean on average every time 35 40 from a&m alone per director
0: Oh, and then you then you had to go to another school and do it all mm-hmm. over again.
1: Do it all over again. OK, mm-hmm.
0: OK, mm-hmm. well, so you were uh, the camp director at a very young age. Would you share with the listeners what camp you worked for and how old you were when you became the director?
1: Yes, I worked for the best camp. Kids Across the Miracle 1. We were the elementary age camp and I was around 21, 2021 when I became a director, 21 somewhere around there. I just just graduated college.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's impressive.
1: (laughs) Impressive or crazy, whichever one, but I was there.
0: (laughs) Wow. So when we, before we got on the recording, you said how old you are now. And I was like, wait, we're not that far apart, which I knew at the time we weren't, but man, Mm -hmm. we really, like you were young. I was
1: young. I was very young.
0: Wow. Okay. So on average per summer, how many campers and staff were a part of KA?
1: You'll do the math for me because I was an English major. So per session, <laughs> we had uh some around 250, 275 kids per session. And a session was a week long. And so oh. uh we were there for three, you know, three months. And then, geez, staff 70, 90.
0: Okay, so that's a lot to run at 21 years of age.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was uh It was very humbling when you I feel like when you're that young, there's a little bit of crazy ambition where you don't quite realize um, what you're stepping into because you don't you've never seen it. And so I just I knew I wanted to do it. I wanted to be there. I knew I had been called um, there and I knew I had help. So I wasn't walking into something where I was going to be completely alone. Um, My Aunt Billy's spiritual gift, one of them is uh, faith. And so I grew up with that. And I knew that the Lord would carry me, would give me what I needed. But then I also had uh, an executive women's director, Bridget Thomas. And then I had phenomenal directors around me, the women that were older, Calandria, Marlena. Um, They, we we were able to kind of talk and process some things together. Um, But also because I was so young, Erica, I... Uh, took what I was doing very seriously because I knew that I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I walked out of my cabin every day with this acute awareness that someone could die today on my watch. Like this is a high risk sports camp. This is not, we're going to go play in the woods and, you know, kumbaya. This is, you know, (laughs) sailboating and canoeing and, and zip lining. So I stuck really close to the cross and really close to those who had been doing it before me. And then I was also crazy and young, so I was like, let's go. <laughs> I could <can> do everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. And fun fact, I didn't know how to swim my first year as a director. Did ah. you know that? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, I didn't know what how to swim. What year was
0: it? What year was it when you was your first year?
1: Oh, my gosh. 2004? 2004?
0: Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. so I think then... I'm trying to remember when I first started. I think my first year was 05. So it was your second year when you were director.
1: Oh, you um, got the terrible year. Sorry, Erica. It was I much didn't feel better like
0: <laughs> But so how did you hear about kids across America? And then, you know, what brought you there? How did you land that position at such a young age?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, so my pastor um, had told me about it a while ago. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not a woods person. I like, look at these nails. Like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Um, we're, we're not doing it because I was a new believer. So I'm like, I'm good. And this was in, uh, 01 and they showed me a recruiting video. And I saw a bunch of people that looked like me that were on fire for the Lord. And I was like, I want to be there. And so in 01, I came as a Kitschikomo, como and then I was a counselor. Um, and then I think it was either that year or the year after, um, I was asked to be on leadership as discipline. I was really good with kids, de-escalating and whatnot. And so then, um, so I think it was around 2002, maybe 2003. I get my, The camp years get mixed up for me, but I was supposed to be just the assistant director, but then something happened to the director and they needed me to step up pretty early. And so I ended up um, serving as the assistant director for a while and then became the woman's director. And so, going into my senior year, which is crazy, my senior year of college, I knew that I was going into the summer as the woman's director for kids across America one and then a future intern,
0: okay, so you knew you were going to be the director and you said, and then a future intern, so what what is yeah all is?
1: the well, all the directors at that time we lived in Missouri, we lived in Branson, and so um again, new to vocational ministry and all those things. And so um, being a Kids Across America intern, um, you live uh, on site and you go through kind of a little bit of Bible college, discipleship, just training and just kind of basic staff onboarding. And so it's a really good opportunity. That, that's when we traveled and we we hung out with the Canna Cook interns. And so it was kind of one big family, but it's kind of that that gap year so you're not just thrown into being a director or uh being on leadership full time.
0: Okay, so then you did the internship, but when you were doing the internship, did they know did you know and they know fully that okay, she was director this summer but you're going to be hired on for director?
1: Yeah, I was a I was full time. I was an intern who was going to be the in the summertime be the director of Kids Quest America 1.
0: Okay. Okay. And so, you know, that is a big, you know, you had these leadership skills, but that's a big jump from college to now you're leading this huge camp, um, very Mm -hmm. successful, impactful camp. And then you're working with people that are your age and younger, but you're now their boss. What, like what insecurities or challenges did you face when you knew that this was going to be your new title?
1: Oh, I mean, I don't think we called it imposter syndrome then. I think it was just, high levels of anxiety but um for me it was just feeling like wait a minute at some point someone's gonna say this is not what she should be doing like she's too young so that kind of imposter syndrome that they would find out or think that i'm a fraud just lack of experience i mean i had maybe flown for the first time when i was 19 and so i didn't have a ton of like you know life experience but um other than imposter syndrome and a little bit of like, I've not lived a lot of life. I, I was okay mentally going in, um, going into it because again, I hadn't seen the other side of it that much. And so I don't know if it was crazy faith, but I didn't really struggle with, I don't belong here to the point that it was paralyzing. I was just very aware. And then, um, systems, just making sure I learned the systems of interviewing and hiring and whatnot. But again, I had a very strong team and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was supposed to be there. You know, I was really walking in my purpose. And so people saw that as confidence and in, in me, but I was really and truly confident in what I knew that I was supposed to be doing. So the learning curve and all that, I, I rode the wave. Um, I didn't struggle asking for help. Um, and I was raw. I was raw as a I was, I was a kid person, so I had to learn to be a staff person and support into you all so that the kids could have a good time. And there was just so much training and love and, um, yeah, this overwhelming sense of whatever you have to learn, whatever mistakes you make, girl, you really are supposed to be here. And so I didn't struggle until later, later, until I had been there for years, you know, and, you know, there are improvements that have to be made and systems that need to be changed. And, you know, you're really dealing with staff issues. But in the beginning, I was all systems go. Hmm.
0: Did you did you experience employees that would say, like, would say to you like, Hey, you're not that much older than me. Did you experience mm-hmm. a lack of res- respect? No. Good.
1: <laughs> no, nope. I think one, cause no one knew how old I was. I made that <laughs> a, a rule. Y'all didn't think about it, Erica. Did you ever know my age until? No,
0: not until no. now. Not until yep. now. <laughs> yeah, no.
1: And I didn't, I, I'm trying to remember. I wasn't even like a jerk with it because mm-hmm. I just never really discussed my age. We were there to do a job and get it done. Um, And we did it, but I knew that that would be a struggle for people because, like you said, I was only a few years older than some, and I carried myself, and I've always carried myself a little older, even when I was in high school. So, nope, I did not struggle. I didn't even struggle with other directors going, "Girl, get somewhere and sit down." You are because I think I was the youngest at the time, but I just early on I honed a commanding presence and then it helped that a few years later i got married and it's stereotypical And you get married oh you gotta be you know especially if you're a, a christian it's like oh you're on the pinnacle of life and wisdom you're married like what so when i was married when i got married i really couldn't tell nobody that i wasn't 30s and and whatever i was 24 when we got married and so wow. nope i did not struggle with that internally i didn't struggle with that um because I think Erica too, it depends on the job. The pace that we were going was so crazy and it helped you to be young or to, or to seem young. Know. So, you know, I didn't have time to look around and go, oh no, I'm not that much older than Erica. Sorry. Like, I couldn't hear Sorry me. about that. Siri says she wanted to join the conversation.
0: Come on. <laughs> you're, um, you're not invited.
1: <laughs> you are not invited. I'm putting you over here. But I think like <laughs> you and I, we were running so fast and so hard that just no one cared about it. You just look to your left and to your right and go, Are we alive? Are the kids alive? Great. You know, let's move on type thing. So,
0: yeah, you said that um, it wasn't until years later that, that you experienced some challenges. What were some of those challenges?
1: Oh my gosh. Like I said, I was, I was raw when I uh, became a uh, director leadership development wise. And so I had to learn how to talk to people and to to listen and to see people and create growth plans for people. Excuse me, because your girl, my first summer, I'm like, okay, this person doesn't want to be there. You're fired. And this person doesn't want to <laughs> be here. Like, you know, and I, I talk with my hands and my face looks intimidating sometimes. And so, you know, those evaluations were rough. You know, Chantel seems, uh, what was the, very forthright and scary, which is crazy because y'all know my personality is silly, but um I think as I really started to drill down on what the impact of camp was for people, not only spiritually but psychologically, I think I got really overwhelmed with like, yo, this is a big deal. This is not just a fun and game. Like people are taking time out of their summer and their life to be there. We had swine flu hit camp and those big lice cases. And, you know, and I had to be more on my paperwork and on the HR side of things. And so I think instead of learning to be gentle and yet firm, I was just super like firm and just didn't play any games. So that was, that was tough and having to reverse that, but it was also really, really good. I had to learn that I uh, at a young age, that just because I'm the loudest and the first to speak and the first to be okay to run into conflict doesn't mean I'm going to do it the right way. I wasn't afraid of anything, which meant sometimes I ran headfirst into things or put my foot in my mouth when it's like, you can't say that, um, or you need to think about your your how. I was never afraid of, of of doing the thing, but my how, I had to to work on that. So that that came later when the awesomeness of camp, not necessarily, it didn't wear off, but it was replaced with the responsibility, um, you know, to whom much is given, much is required type thing. So yeah. that was a big switch for me and learning how to love adults that were my age or a little bit younger. And like I said, create growth plans when they weren't performing um, to look at myself and go if my if my team my staff aren't getting it then the problem is you not your staff. and that was humbling
0: hmm. yeah that's a hard reality to to face of when you think like it's easy to say well, what's wrong with all of them they can't put it to you know figure it out and then you, if it, if everyone's having the same issue then realizing oh maybe it's me
1: and maybe it's me and honey it was me but once we, <laughs> once i once i got it and we kind of tweaked some things and some, you know, leadership conferences later and things like that. I started to kind of get my, my feet under me, but the age thing, I think, and that in, in the in the camp regard, I think it aided me more than hindered me. Um, I just had to learn if there was a, uh, a learning curve or a drawback with the age, it was learn to pump the brakes, learn to assess before you run in. I had to become a firefighter. I would see the fire and go boom and go straight in. Firemen and firewomen—they don't do that. They, the fire, the, the house was burning, but they still wait and assess. And no one's just running in. And my my age sometimes kept me from 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 assessing well.
0: Well, and I would imagine too at you know at that young age specifically, you're like you said you're being HR, you're a boss, you're also. Being confident to all you know, a lot of kids, I'm sure they're coming up to you and to staff members and these mm-hmm. interviewing skills and running the show and like putting programs together, whatnot, you are developing so many skills that you know are necessary at that moment, but also later down in life.
1: Oh yeah. The soft skills that I learned. I tell everyone, I mean, I'm biased, whatever. I feel like everyone should work at a camp at some point in their life. Um, yeah, there was some, my husband and I, we think about it now, we go, what the heck were we doing at that age? Like running a camp with all those people, like in our basket, like we, what were we doing? And I'm like, man, we were learning and growing and being able to stretch in a, in a, in a bubble of sorts. And so, yeah, like my soft, my soft skills, Erica are amazing because of, um, what I did at camp at a young age, uh, leadership wise, it opened the door for me for other positions and, and just opportunities later. Like I I can't remember the last time I filled out a resume. Can't remember Mm -hmm. it because people seek me or I just end up walking into these positions that are so right on par to what I learned and experienced at camp. I mean, it's like a trial by fire. Like you said, HR skills, people solution skills, Risk management, crisis risk management, you know, and uh, leadership development, youth development, power of presence, all those things I learned from leading at a young age. And the youth part says that now at 41, there are things that I already have in my toolbox that it takes people, you know, years to get. And so that's the benefit and the blessing of leading at a young age.
0: Yeah. And, you know, also, you said that you think everyone needs to experience working at a camp. I agree. Mm-hmm. I grew so much and it cha- changed and transformed my career trajectory as well. So the the necessity and importance of working at a camp and specifically kids across America, like that camp was not just your, you know, we're spending hundreds and thousands of dollars to send our send our kids to this specific camp. It was for um, certain children in a certain demographic and um Could you kind of explain a little bit about what Kids Across America's goal is, the mission behind it, and the the children that came to that camp?
1: Yeah, and I want to make sure I share it in a way where um, it ascribes dignity, honor, and respect. Because I think over the years, when people um, think about ministry in the city, they always, you know, like urban youth, inner city youth, concrete jungle, Um, and that's not. All that there is to Kids Across America, and and I don't know what their mission and vision now, Um but when we were there, it was just transforming. You know, we called it urban youth, but they wouldn't say urban youth now. Do um, camping and education, and I just messed up with the with, with the um, the total vision and mission was. But at the end of the day, it was to bring kids um, from the city to an oasis um, so that they can. Have fun, experience Jesus uh, in a bit of a bubble, see people that looked like them, um, and to grow in their faith and be or be introduced um, to it. We wanted it to be Disney World for black and brown children, you know, and it wasn't exclusive. White kids could come, other cultures could come, but when you looked at the camp, you saw what the the goal was. And so, city kids, um, and we wanted them to just have the time of their life. Um, And we also wanted their their group leaders to have what we used to call back then a bubble bath in Jesus. And they're still doing that now, but we wanted, and we had, and they still do to to some extent, we wanted kids begging to come back. And so, yeah, there were kids that came came from rough backgrounds, rough neighborhoods, and um, kids that had challenges. Um, And there were also kids that came from amazing families and um, kind of like your typical quote-unquote American dream homes um, but the point is that we all uh, had a common um, ground in how we looked mostly um, black um, and there was a trust in the place that you know we could bring our kids here and know that they would be okay um, that it wasn't some behavioral camp where you, know, you, were, you were trying to change these kids and trying we try to make them. We wanted to influence, and we wanted to do it with the gospel. And so that was the mission. That was the goal, um, just to build Christian leaders for for an HG for KA one. The elementary it was again Disneyland, Disney, Disney, have the time of your life and awesome parties and learn about Jesus. Two KA two was like again same vision and mission, but hype sports. Connections with people K3, like leadership development, sports, fun, independence, um, a deeper understanding of the of walking out your faith, like at the end of the day to know Christ, make make Christ known, but do it in a way that was just dope. and it was the best, best time of, of my life.
0: It is an awesome place. My, we, my family, we were in driving through Missouri Branson area. A few years ago, I so badly wanted to stop by Okay, um, Then I was like, well, I don't know anyone who's there right now and I can't just show up, you know, <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's a special place. And the point place. is
1: you could have, you totally could have.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah. Next time I'm going to, because I'm just like the memories there. And I just had two summers and I can't even imagine with you being there for, I don't know how many years, how many years were you there? 13, maybe? Wow. Yeah, thirteen. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. Okay. Yeah. We're going to get to that too in a second. Wow. So did you kind of, did you keep in touch with any, any of the kids that went through the camp?
1: Yes. uh, Several of them. Um, There's one, um, she's getting married in September, still close with her and her family. Her other sister's getting married next year. So still a part of their lives going to another wedding in July. Oh my gosh. Yes, so many campers that I know now. One of them just turned 30, and I'm like, what is really going on? (laughs) (laughs) She posted on Facebook, I'm 30 now. I'm like, but when they were younger, they seemed so much younger than me. Like 10 years doesn't seem like a lot now. But yeah, I keep up. My best friend I met met at camp, my best friend on the planet, Ayantha Sealy Tuyusen, we met 2001 at camp. So, yeah, there's not a city I can go in or state where I don't know someone because of camp. I mean, you know, there are people from everywhere.
0: Yeah. 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 And then it was really cool, too, is like, at least for me, I'll, you know, go somewhere and somehow I found find out that I've met somebody who worked at K.A. And then you just have this automatic connection. It's like this special club that you get the privilege of being a part of, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, so mm-hmm. you met your husband through KA, and he also, little fun side note, when y'all were dating or weren't dating, but we all knew you were dating, all, all the girls yeah. were like, he's so cute.
1: <laughs> he was fine, fine. I ain't even know what. you. Shoot, you want to talk about a struggle at camp. Some days I couldn't even focus. Yeah. Especially when he was at the end of yo skits.
0: Well, at what point did y'all start dating while you were a director? Do you remember?
1: Our story is so, yeah. Girl, yeah. Our story (laughs) is so so interesting. Like, we didn't date while I was at camp and while I was, yeah, while I was directing. Not at all. We were friends. We met in 01 and we were just friends, friends, friends. No one really knew that we even liked each other. Actually, people thought I was going to end up with other men because I was more friendly with them and you no know, but with Anton we didn't hardly talk at camp um and it wasn't until gosh 2005 that we even dated 2005 yeah because we um we talked outside of camp um hours on the phone but during camp nope I told you I was super serious I didn't want anyone you know uh, accusing me of not uh, being focused, and I um, there was a saying at camp: "When you're on, you're on; you're off, you're off." And you, you've probably heard me say that. And so I was super hyper focused on being above approach, probably because I was young, <laughs> and I wanted to have <laughs> something else to separate me from uh, any foolishness. So, no, nah, Antoine got no love from me during camp. But in uh, we were, uh, God, we were interns, and so in '05 during a parent camp. He pulled me aside and was like, Hey, he got me a dictionary. And he was like, the dictionary defines terms and I want to define us for us. And so he had all these different definitions. Like you remember Antoine being very creative. Like that hasn't that carried out throughout our whole dating. And so he defined us for us. And he was like, Hey, I would love to marry you one day. And what do you think about that? And I was like, Yeah, I mean I <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then that was shoot girl that was s- September we got engaged in December like December 4th or something like that and we were married in April because oh, your girl uh, oh, wasn't six. trying to have it yeah. yeah we not. We live too close if you get my drift <laughs> I'm not trying to have any, any problems I need to be above approach and he fine I'm good looking I ain't too bad <laughs> <laughs> and we both, you know, you, you know, loving Jesus make you extra attractive, and so it was a lot of attractiveness going on, and um, yeah, I just, we just didn't want to wait. So, yeah, dating for three months, but we have been friends for four or five years.
0: Wow. Yeah, and then working together, and I mean, but I'm telling you, in '05, that's my first year. We all knew, so we, but we yeah. we also knew that we respect you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 05, 05,
1: We were. I mean. We we were a little more friendly. But before that, child, no. But in 05, it was, oh, my gosh. We were writing emails back and forth at camp. I was a smitten mess.
0: Well, and then he eventually joined you as as co-director, right, at mm-hmm. some point? Or he did? Okay. So how, yeah, how was that in y'all's time. marriage? That
1: was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It, um, you know, because camp is hard. It's hard work, it's 17 hour days sometimes. And to be able to come home to someone and um, like just relax, um, not have to worry about, well, and especially for me, it was good to be out of that, oh, looking for your husband type thing. Like I could just focus, you know. I don't know if you remember camp, but you can breathe in the direction of someone. And they're like, oh, you're going to get married. And <laughs> it's like, pipe down. Uh, we're just going on two, four to freaking Landry's, like, we're okay. Um, So it was good to not be in that deal and to to get out of the whole speculation of it all and so to not have that pressure. But then just, yeah, just being with your best friend. I think if anything, that was something that we had to be aware of was just how hard we worked and not to bring things home to the cabin um, and whatnot. Because it was, again, we both really loved what we did, like we were two crazy camp people, so we would go, and sometimes Bridget would have to tap me, especially on the shoulder, and go, "When are you going home?" When I'm knee deep in applications and I'm, you know, preparing a talk for K Life or I'm whatever, and so um, I would have to be reminded, "Girl, go home." And then there were sweet moments where uh, I remember I was freaking out for K Life and I didn't know what I was going to share, and my husband. He was like, I'll do it. He was like, I'll do it. I'll do it for you tonight. And he ended up taking K-Life for me because I was freaking out. And he he saw me and knew me. And that was just fun to have a partner like that where I wouldn't be by myself. So it was it was really good. It was really good for, for camp. And it oh, was, you special. know, yeah, it was, it was super special. And we had to, and I will say this, being a, a young leader, young married person, we also wanted to make sure we fought against the um, the temptation to be, you know, to seem like we are like the, the 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 pinnacle of like life and Christendom and leadership because we're married, and then you know then we started having children because sometimes people would shine a brighter light on us for that, and it's not and it's like hey we're not better Christians because we're married and you know the Christian faith is not about oh okay now you get married. Like, There's more to life in that, and so we were very strategic in fighting against that. We were not the pastors of KA1, like, no first lady. And you, I mean, you remember the way we um did our thing, but like, I'm not the first lady, Antoine is not the pastor. Like, no, we are your boss, yes, but we're not some like, oh, because we're married. Like, mm-hmm. we make mistakes. We don't know everything. I don't have all the wisdom. Don't come to me with a pen and pad and sit cross-legged in my cabin because <laughs> you think I've, I've reached some level of knowledge because I'm married. But that is a temptation because that you you look the part at camp. You're married and you're kids and you're black and you're And it's like, it looks like all the things. And man, we could have coasted and been like, hey, we've reached it.
0: Just, we're here now.
1: And we fought. We fought against that. Mm-mm.
0: That's really good that you were aware of that. Cause like, like you said, I mean, even though you weren't pastors, um, you were still the directors of the camp and I could see how people would easily put you on this pedestal and for you Mm -hmm. to have to humble yourself and say, you know, no, we're not this top tier couple individuals, whatnot. Like, no, we need, you know, we need help. We make mistakes. Um, because yeah, people do that all the, I mean, they do that to pastors now, right. Um, and they're still humans. We all make mistakes. Um, so I think that that was really wise of you to to, to do that. I'd, I'd love for you to kind of just take the listeners through, you know, you worked at camp for, you said, 13 years, about 13 years. Walk us through just the transition of what made you decide to transition out. Where did you live when you were, when it wasn't summer? Just kind of walk us through that season.
1: Oh, Lord. <laughs> Oh, man, let me be wise in how I say this. (laughs) I did not want to transition out of camp, but I think, I don't think, I know the Lord had a different plan for me and um, I had to make a decision that was best for me, for my family, for for what I believed and what I believed to be true about. Um, the gospel and um, and and just leadership, leadership development, and and, and loving people. And so, I mean, I, sh- I would have probably lived at camp all my life, strapped babies on my back, and been that old lady that was like just at camp, <laughs> like girl. Um, but no, we uh, we needed to leave, we needed to, to make some room and do something different, and so. Um, we decided in 2013 that we would, that would be our last summer. And that was, that was tough, but it was good, um, uh, for us, but, um, we needed some time to, to heal. Cause again, that decision wasn't something that we were like, yes, it was like writing on the wall. We need to make a different decision type deal. And we had a choice between Texas or North Carolina, but there was a um, ministry here um, that was kind of in the trajectory of where we were wanting to go, which is wanting to be involved in the lives of kids. We had always you know, been the oasis for children, and that I don't find a, a problem in that at all. John Perkins, um, one of uh, the foremost leaders of um, city work um, in the United States. I remember at a, a Christian community development conference, I was feeling very low because I felt like, man, we're not in the city. We live in Branson, Missouri. We Bible Belt, you know, how you know no black folk, they all think like, we Katrina Katrina evacuees oh my God. entertainment people. <laughs> we don't really, come on, snort. Um, you know, we don't know what's going on in the city. And I'm like, I mean, I'm beating myself up. And I get on the elevator, and this beautifully, beautifully wrinkled and wise, shining bright man, John Perkins, was like, noticed that I was looking down. He was like, how you doing? I was like, I don't I don't feel too good. And I just told him I felt like we were just looking stupid out at KA in the middle of the woods. And he said, No. Our kids need somewhere to go to be different and to be to have fun and to let loose. And he says, So what you are doing is needed. Everybody can't be in the hood. Everybody can't be in a city in the trenches. He says, So we all work at the time, if this time is necessary. And that was great for me. And then I started to feel this tug on my heart to know more about. The children, not know more about the hood, because I grew up in the hood, but know more about and impact the everyday life of kids. And so um we heard about the Forge for Families. Um the former executive director of kids across America had moved to Houston to um to be the executive director, the executive director of the, the Forge for Families. And we loved them and we trusted their leadership and kind of we knew what they were building. And so he knew that we had left camp, but he said, Hey you know, told Antoine, come, come check it out. And so it was a no-brainer for us because again, we were getting to work with people that we already knew um and had been even discipled by. I mean the Thomases had been in our life for years by that point. So came to Houston to do incarnational living, which is living in the in the area where you are serving. And so that was amazing. Um, funny thing is, Antoine worked for the Forge. I was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to school the kids and try homeschooling. So I volunteered at the Forge and just loved on people in my community and lived out the CCDA model that we had heard so much about um in our years serving as directors.
0: You did volunteer work with them and then you stayed mm-hmm. with your kids. How old were your kids at this time?
1: Oh, goodness gracious. So Asa was six, yeah, whenever, whatever age um, kindergarten is, so around six, five, so they're or a little bit younger than five. They're 19 months apart, so stayed home with them in third ward while Antoine was the uh, program's director at the Forge, and then I would help him with Bible studies or youth nights, um, just kind of... They knew my skill sets and so I just, they would just throw me in, you know, to help out in ways that I just automatically knew um, how to do. And so, and really for me, I wanted to take time to get to know Houston. So my husband's focus was getting to know the Ford and the new way of doing ministry there as a vocation. And mine was, who's on my block? How can I serve and love the people around me while loving and serving my kiddos? And so we did that. For a couple of years and then um, we went from uh the forge i went from being at home anton was at the forge and we both ended up working for the forge um for a brief time before he transitioned out of the forge and i was what was i i was just a team member i think at that point and i uh, did discipleship before i became the after school director and so worked in the summer did a mini camp just like what we did at, you know, at uh, Kids Across America, again, transferable skills. And so I went into audiovisual work when he wanted to transition out of a vocational ministry, learned all of that. Where? Kids Across America. <laughs> and so we ended up working for an incredible ministry called Apartment Life, where we, uh, they called it um, Business tree. We lived in in these amazing apartments and we put on events for residents and created a, a sense of community and home so that they would sign their lease every year. And uh, the community, did, I mean, the, the apartment complex didn't know that we were specifically Christian leaders. They just knew we loved people and put on great events. We were also sharing the gospel. So we did that for a time and that was amazing. A good transition right from the forge. And then um antoine completely got out of uh ministry work i became the after school director for a little bit and then erica i transitioned completely in a different direction and went into fashion and retail
0: how did that happen
1: listen there's this uh, saying that my therapist says it's called be where your feet are planted and by God's grace, I have always done that. I am an extreme extrovert. I love people. And so I do people well. I love nonprofit. I will do nonprofit probably for the rest of my life. And I, they, this Black-owned fashion and retail group, I'm one of the largest. They found me doing the work that I love to do, which is loving on people, serving people, and telling good stories. And so I was all the way in North Carolina. I walked into this store and I was like, wait, this is a fashion boutique, sneakers, and, but there's a community element to that, what's this, and they would hold meetings there, they would let people rent the space for free, and hold community events, and it was all about serving people, and I was like, this is amazing, and we stayed in contact, the leadership and I there, and they came to Houston to see what was going on at the the Forge, um, because I was still the after-school director then, and it was just amazing They and they watched me do what I love to do and they were like, wait, we could have her on our team helping to do community in fashion, connecting um, brand marketing to authentic community work. And so I joined their team um, in doing that where I like um, built strategic partnerships with community leaders wherever we had a, a retail footprint and so if we were in North Carolina, then my job was to poke around North Carolina and and see what was happening in the sneaker and fashion world, but also what was happening in the community and how the two could connect. And then um, when they built out their nonprofit within that fashion group, I became the executive director for the the nonprofit. Again, authentic engagement with community. So fashion, the fashion world wasn't just popping up and go, hey, look at these little black kids buy some Nike's like they didn't want to do that anymore. And so people like me and I had a partner, then we would go, okay, let us, let us help you do that. And so, but it's still people, it's still leadership development. It's still nonprofit. It was all the way in fashion and sneakers, philanthropy and sneakers. It was crazy.
0: Yeah. That's really um, an interesting concept for fashion industry to, to implement like as this community element, um, you know, just because, like you said, it's, it's clothes, it's shoes, it's you know, like people don't normally think of that. And so, when you would go into these areas and think, well, how can we develop community and and build these, this um, this closeness? Like, what 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 would you do, or how would you say, okay, this is this is something we need to to do and focus on in this specific area? What were some goals?
1: Yeah, well, let me just say this beforehand. So community had always been a buzzword in um, fashion and retail. It always been, I mean, who doesn't want to do community? Um, but I think around George Floyd, excuse me, and maybe a little bit before that, the fashion world was starting to get called out and going, hey, how long are we going to benefit and profit off of, um you know, our largest demographic of consumers, but not see them and the plight that they're going through. How can we continue to sell things in communities, but not, um, not just be aware, but be engaged in the injustice and in um, the poverty and the oppression um, of what's going on. So I think around that time there was a big wake up call for everyone to kind of like strategically, like what are we doing in these cities where we have these major fashion um, boutiques, like what are we doing? So um that's why what I did was so attractive because it's like, hey, here's a black woman um who loves people and loves community, but does it in a way where it connects and builds real relationship equity so um the way that it was done even before I got there is there's a direct connection between you know budding entrepreneurs, budding fashion designers and creatives um wanting to know more in the business and do better and and grow and connect. And so how can these fashion houses and and different entities walk alongside these budding entrepreneurs and artists? Like if we say we believe in the community, we want to see more black and brown folks in this space, let's raise them up. Let's support them. Let's give them the tools. Um, Let's give them the free game. And so that's one of the ways that they were doing it. This particular company before I got there, where they would just naturally connect with those who wanted to be in the industry, but needed some type of mentorship and needed um, a North Star, needed a a road paved out where they could learn and grow without these crazy pitfalls um, that would completely knock them out of the game. So they built community there. Then they also built community with their consumer, the person that was buying, um, having many conferences for them and events where they could come in and meet designers and learn about um, why their favorite brand exists. The linchpin was me coming in and going, um, walking in and talking to community centers and um, community activists and leaders and um, whether it was religious, non-religious and going, hey, we have these resources over here. How can we help you with what you're doing? Because we can't necessarily have a middle school or we can't necessarily have our own um you know, boys and girls club, but we can help you. Um, and so we would then take our influence and our tangible resources and we would sew that back into the city. And then what I would do, um, along with there was a team of us, we would go, Okay, how can we now continue the relationship so it's not a one off? Hey, here's some shoes, here's some clothes, bye, have a nice life. Um, but more so <laughs> <laughs> Looking at, you know, how can we link arms and, um, you know, you know, go deeper and really, you know, be a catalyst for change in, you know, how people see and do things in the city because fashion and shoes and retail, it's flashy, it's awesome. Everyone wants a piece of it. So it's like we're the cool kids coming in. So people listen to us. So we use all that to our advantage to drill deep in community centers. And so that's what I'm um I'm really good at and grateful to be um to be good at so that's what that's what I did there.
0: That uh is really interesting. You know, I, I guess it shows a little bit of my ignorance in the fashion uh, world. I don't I don't know too much about it and so I didn't really know that that too, was I
1: didn't either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like I didn't know that that was something that is of importance to I'm not sure all brands but some brands and so the fact that they they put time, money and effort into that, which was your job. And like you said, a team of people, I think that's really neat. So you also said that, you know, so you came from director of a camp for 13 years or working there for 13 mm-hmm. plus years, and then your mm-hmm. other jobs and positions, like you, we said, were transferable skills, you've used things that you learned as a director. Um, and in and, 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 and the work that you have done since still has a is community outreach is working with other people it's connecting all that when you did make that shift from working at KAA did you what what challenges did you face with identity as far as you know i am now no longer like my identity for this long was director of this camp and i am no longer that person how did you battle with those thoughts and and an identity or did you
1: I didn't. I didn't have those thoughts until I came into fashion. Because I had no, I'm like, you, what? Um, That is when I really understood for real, for real, what imposter syndrome was. You know, working at the Forger families is this beautiful cushion and safety net. Because again, I was working with two people who I love with my whole heart who knew me since 2001, you know, Dana, gave me away at our wedding, like this wasn't new territory. And then most of the folks at the forge and even in the the church and whatnot, they knew about Kids Across America and they knew the type of things that I could, you know, that I could do. And so it was a very comfortable transition. I think if anything, I had to, I wrestled with being slower, Um, meaning I'd only done Kids Across America for 13 years. And although I learned incredible uh, soft skills, I didn't further my education in youth development, um, certifiable, whatever. When I came to the forge, we had to do certifications and minimum standards and whatnot. And I had children at the time. And so I was just tired, you know, just physically um, and cognitively having to learn things when it came to um, child safety. from a state level, which is crazy. Cause again, we were in the Ozarks swinging from trees, but whatever. Um, so I think I had to deal with just being, just being older in that space. And, but when it came to moving into fashion and retail, like I had never really been a part of like Slack channels and discord and, you know, all these things that people use now to communicate and the, you know, texting every five minutes for everything. I'm like, I'm used to one-on-one. I'm used to devotional. I'm used to these team meetings. Where everyone's like, how you doing? How's life? You know, and here I am working for a startup fast paced. There's no celebrating your last victory and no like, let's go and reflect. It was like, boom, we finished that campaign next. <laughs> what are we doing now? And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Um, and then uh, the whiplash of, or the shaky ground of, you know, coming out of COVID and having to work, you know, autonomously or async- asynchronously, you know, and having to build camaraderie and um, a sense of uh, like a value system and teamwork and whatever from Zoom and having to learn it fast, like. All of that was like, (gasps) and then I hadn't even gotten to like dates and gates for releases of shoes and clothes. And I'm like, what is this? And so just being a freaking fish out of water, like what is going on here? (laughs) Uh, I dealt with that part a lot. Um, But the beautiful thing is I was so excited at first that I was like, oh, I'm good. Like, hey, we're going to learn it. And then the more I got into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) This is a lot. And standards change in HR and, you know, diversity and inclusion and having to really drill down on that and tighten up in that area because I wasn't working for one specific entity, faith-based. I was working with people from all walks of life. So I had to be mindful of what I said, how I said it. I had to learn how to reach people without talking to them about Jesus outright. Um, So all that. That was a huge learning curve. And I had to do all of that while going through perimenopause that I didn't even know that I was dealing with.
0: Well, and you, you know, you and I spoke uh, before this recording, you know, a few weeks ago, and you were sharing with me about the situation um, when you had to leave work and like just the changes in your body. Would you mind just sharing um, with the listeners what you talked with me before?
1: Yeah, I think everyone should know about it. I think women in particular, we're not looking for uh, menopause or perimenopause uh, at 38. I was 38 when I started going through my symptoms. I just didn't know what that was cause of, because, again, I watched my friend go through menopause, but, I mean, she was in her 50s, and so um, it would just seemed kind of normal. So I started having hot flashes at 38. Um, going through extreme mood swings, some cognitive delay, but more so the hot flashes, the low sex drive, the um, the night sweats, like that was early. And I was like, this is weird. And I thought maybe I was sick and whatnot. But when I first um, was considered for the position with this, the fashion and retail group, I was sharp, ready to go, like had energy and ideas and could keep up and then it all came to a screeching halt like probably six to seven months in where there were days where I would wake up and not know what I was supposed to be doing for that day I would be on calls with one brand wearing the other brand a competitive brand's logo and team members having to kick me under the table virtually like girl you have on a whole Nike check On an Adidas call. What's really going on? (laughs) And I'm like, you know, or being in the bathroom crying for two hours and not knowing how to snap out of it. Um, Short term memory loss was bananas. I would get directives from um, the head of our company at the time and I'll be listening to him talk. And I'm going, I have no idea what he's talking about or why, but I can't show that. I'm a 40-something, well, 40, I was 40 at that time, 40-year-old woman in a high leadership position, um, was very respected in the company, but I was starting to lose it. And so I'm, I didn't know how what was going on. So I'm trying to mask it because I don't want to seem old. Nothing ages you like a menopause. And so, you know, I'm like freaking out. And... I just, it came to a head one day where I was like, I've got to figure out what's going on. I thought I had a brain tumor, Erica, it was that bad. And I just needed to get brain scans. I needed to get a hormone panel because I'm like, what the heck? So I took two weeks of medical leave to try to figure out what was going on because I'm like, either I'm dying or I'm pregnant. Like what is up? And so I took two weeks to go to do a different battery of tests. And in that two weeks, my um, my job shifted, my role my role shifted within the company, and um, it was very hurtful and weird. But to their um, credit, and I'm not defending them because they're not my cousins. But when I think about <laughs> perimenopause, and <laughs> I think about you know menopause, like they didn't know what they were looking at. Like they just probably thought I was losing it. And, you know, them having to shore up and, you know, protect parts of the of the company. And so HR-wise, they had no clue, I don't think, um, how to handle me. Now I think some things could have been done differently and with more care, people solution-wise. But I don't think it was anything menacing. But the moves that were made for a woman that's already struggling with anxiety and uh, struggling with um, imposter syndrome and just... What's going on? I felt very unsafe and un uh, I didn't feel secure and what I knew that I could do and had been doing before they met me. and so because of that, I made a decision and said, hey, you know what, this is probably not the best place for me to be now the industry, I think I'm, I'm I know I'm called to, but the but the company I needed to take a step back because I was hurting um, and it wasn't something that I could get over quickly. And so I just, the way that some things were handled, I needed to make a decision that was best for me to be able to handle my business and get, and get better. And so I decided last June with the support of my husband to resign. And it was painful because again, I was budding in a new career, new position that I saw myself in Erica. I would have been there for life. Life I and mean, it is a. Oh, I have resources at my fingertips, and for a community engagement person who's worked in nonprofit on a shoestring budget, okay? I'm sitting here with resources galore. I'm working with blackity, bliggity, black, 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 black people, black companies, like people who were allies who weren't black but or people of color and they just wanted to see what we were doing succeed it was beautiful the work and i walked away from it and it was oh it was painful and so i had to take some time to to heal in that and deal with that because um yeah it was just it was a hurtful you know departure but it was encouraging in a sense that, like you said earlier, I never knew this world existed. I only saw philanthropy and nonprofit work in a sense of super grunt. You're on the front lines, you're never home with your family, or you're working sweaty days, or you're working faith-based. And so I was introduced to a whole new world of giving and serving and loving. And so I'm glad for it. But that, that perimenopause and being in a fast-paced space that's predominantly male, is it was rough. It was super rough.
0: I bet. And, you know, just thinking, like, you're going through all these changes through your body that you weren't expecting. And that, you know, that probably can affect the mind and then you say you know I'm I'm just 40 and I'm I'm dealing with this and then having to make that decision to leave i you know I, I would imagine I mean you already said it would was really difficult and challenging and but one of the things, too, that when we spoke previously, you said, you know, I don't you know, I don't actually listening to this. I don't know if you want me for the podcast because this is what I'm dealing with. And it's like, no, that's exactly I mean, I want to do for the, the early years because that's the part of you that I knew. But like this part is super important, too, for women to hear and learn about and. And, um, and know that like, Hey, you had to do what was best for you and your family at that time. And that's okay. And it doesn't mean that your life's over. It's just, is there's a shift and a change in, in mm-hmm. your trajectory at this moment. And you don't know what the future will look like because you've got all these skills and it's not going to stop you. It's just a, a temporary pause. Yeah. And Chantal, I know we, you know, we've already talked for a really long time. And so I kind of want to just use that to transition into where you are currently right now and knowing like what you're having to tell yourself and go through how could you also use that and to encourage one other person who may feel limited to pursue a dream or a goal or who may just like right now is just I feel stuck like something in my life is causing me to stop where I am I don't know what to do next what could you say to encourage that woman
1: uh you know as as a source of encouragement or just a word of encouragement i would say a couple of things one Especially if if the woman that's listening to this is a believer, um, we are all good. We're all good, even if the the, the transition, the job transition, the thing you, that you know you're reaching toward doesn't work out the way you thought, or quote unquote time seems to be running out, or whatever. Like you're okay. We're gonna be okay because for us, this life is not all there is. And we don't, we don't reach for anything and we don't hope for anything in vain. And we don't, we don't, we don't deal with life's stuff the way other people do. We have not optimism, because optimism is fleeting. Like, eh, I don't see it. I'm not getting older. Oh, I don't see it. I'm not too young. No, you're getting older. Yeah, you're too young. But the hope is in the fact that you have a firm foundation in Christ Jesus and your identity is not even wrapped around your age and where you are in life because you serve a God that moves in and out of time. Time is not a a thing. If you're called to be there and you have a freaking job to do, you can do that no matter your age or your situation. Um, We have a, a, a sense of awareness and a firm foundation that allows us to move throughout life circumstances and time in a way um, that allows us to grow and, and, and do and be better because our life isn't even resting on the job, the family, the thing. So that's number one. And two, um, if you're not a believer and you're just a woman just in the space at the end of the day, the tide is turning for us as women. No longer are people relegating us to the sidelines. We have to take advantage of that, especially people of color in this space. But it's, but women, it will behoove businesses to have women on their team. People are clamoring for women to be on their team. And so I would say, get ready, stay ready, and know that at 40 or 20 or whatever, nothing limits you. What limits you is lack of humility, lack of being able to learn and go and get other skills to add to or to be a good teammate. You can be 20, 21 and lead a division, but you have to be humble in that, humble and courageous. No one wants a leader that's only you know, humble and you don't have any courage. And as an older person, Get the training, stay ready, because at the end of the day, people need women on their teams. And then thirdly, I would say as a source of encouragement, because what I'm doing now is making sure women do not experience what I did in a business sense. Companies need to bone up on what it means to care for people. There's no such thing anymore. There's no room anymore for the, we got to go, we got to go, head down, get your work done, hustle, 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 grind, 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 don't see people. Not after COVID and the great resignation, no one wants to work for companies like that. <laughs> like we're we're done with that. You know, that was in my my generation where we just got beat up on at companies and you just did it because hey. So for the companies and people who 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 lead others who are listening and you have people in your basket, do not discount women because of their age and them getting older. If you value women and you want women on your team, be willing to see all of what a woman is the company that I left Erica should have never lost me well, nope. with some proper- <laughs> honey and I listen that ain't even me trying to be like I'm all at a bag of chips but what they should have been able to do and willing to do is walk with me and to create a space where for me where I could work through the perimenopause of it all um, and you retain the wisdom and the years of experience that I have and can bring to the table. So, companies and leaders, listen, don't lose good people because you don't have good people solutions. Like, especially women. If you say you value women and you want more women on your team, just know that these are some of the things that you will deal with in having awesome women. And they aren't handicaps. It's not like, oh no, if I hire a woman, I'm gonna lose her because she's going through perimenopause. No, I'm a person. I'm a human and these should be steps that you are willing to take because you value me as a person. So value your people. And um, yeah, like there's enough space for women of all walks of life to win. There really are. There needs to be grace for the moment and then women need to have grace with themselves, especially if you're a believer. Grace for the moment. I
0: love it. Beautifully said, Chantelle, Thank you so much. You, I just, I, I really enjoy listening to your story and your wisdom. Um, and I know that this is going to encourage many, many, many women and men too. But awesome. know, our audience is mainly women, so thank you so much for <laughs> joining me today. I appreciate it.
1: You're so welcome. I'll do it anytime. You're awesome, Erica. I appreciate you.
0: If you are encouraged by today's episode, like and subscribe to this podcast, and share this episode with a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Erica Shorey. That's Erica with a C, Shorey, S as in Sam, H as in happy, O, H as in happy again, R-A-E. Keep striving for your goals, live fully, and we'll catch you next time on the More Than Your Age podcast.